Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yeah, huh? I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some poll. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270. The Fan. Let Taking your calls at 270-1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Bison, Kirshner, CPAs, and business consultants. We are loaded today, and we have a full show. What do you think of that? Allegedly. Little play on words there. When Jonah and I get together on Wednesdays, we're sober for part of it, and then we're not sober for part of it. Allegedly. Allegedly. This is the sober part, though. The sobering reality. It is. We, you know what? No. If you're a Western New York sports fan, you should be drunk with excitement right now. With everything that's been going on, the Buffalo Bills 4-1, and the Sabres 2-0-1, and, and we have a show commensurate with that excitement level because we have everything but baseball on today's show. And we'll probably have a segment where we talk about baseball with a couple of do-or-die games tonight. But listen to this lineup, and we're going to have him on the phone here in a second. The Athletics' John Vogel, he covers the Sabres. He's going to be on with us today. Jeff Glore of CBS News. Uh, He's a huge Bills and Sabres fan and uh, one of the smartest guys I know. And uh, he's going to be fun to talk to, as he always is. ESPN Bills reporter Marcel Louis-Jacques is going to be on the show. UB Hoops coach Jim Weitzel is going to be on. The season's about to start there. It is basketball season almost, which would make it really one of the more uh, fulfilling times of the year if you're a sports fan, when all four of the big sports are going. You're going to have... Major League Baseball playoffs, NBA season uh, joining the already-in-progress NHL and NFL seasons. WNBA. Oh, right. Finals going on right now. Yes. So that is some basketball juice you have going. And Joel Staniszewski, for all of us uh, degenerates who need to hear his thoughts. Even though the Bills are on a bye week, Joel's going to join us from Vegas to give us his thoughts on this week's games, uh, the trends, what he likes, what he doesn't like. But before we go any further, we need to go to, new sponsor alert, the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline is athletic. Well, see, I always have to stop. Joe, John Vogel is athletic. He does still play hockey. But the athletic is a noun, not an adjective in this case. The Athletics' John Vogel is going to talk to us about the Sabres. How you doing, John? Good afternoon, my friend. How are you? I'm great here. I'm doing fantastic here as well in the Sports Radio 1270 The Fan Studios with Jonah Bronstein and Bobby Rosati. So, John, it's only three games, 
Do you want to throw any kind of qualifiers on this uh, to either tell Sabres fans to go ahead and get a, and get uh, pumped up about this team, or uh, and you did have one of my favorite quotes of all or uh, tweets of all time. Uh, pardon your pardon your language, but who, who the f are these guys? Uh, one of my that's it might be my favorite tweet ever. Uh, so where are you with what we've seen so far? What do we have um, they, here? It's, uh, this is going to be a big couple games to show, but what we have is a different team, to be honest. I mean, they, Ralph Kruger came in preaching a lot of the same things that Phil Housley did. We're going to play fast. We're going to be aggressive. And then Phil's teams went out and did the exact opposite, um, whereas Ralph really did come through with a game plan that's proving to be fast and aggressive. Um in the uh, when the other team has a puck, the Sabers are right in their face, nonstop. I mean, the defensemen aren't backing up to their own goal line. Basically, they're stepping up and forcing turnovers, and they're going the other way quick. It sounds simple, it sounds easy to do, but it's uh, as Ralph Kruger said, it takes a lot of work to do this game in and game out. And they had a little lapse the other day, which is going to happen, obviously, um, in an 82 game season. But they do look like a different team, which is. Uh, which is fun to see for once. Um, obviously, a couple of big tests here. Uh, teams who are projected to finish ahead of them with Montreal and Florida, teams in the same division. Um, so if they can beat these teams, then I think, hey, maybe uh, maybe we do have something. The Sabres do play at Key Bank Center tonight against the Montreal Canadiens, uh, face-off at 7 o'clock. And uh, it's really too early to say what the Montreal Canadiens have, but as you say, uh, should be a better test for them they have three games under their belts. Uh, a coach uh, or a opposing lineup shouldn't be too surprised now about uh, the pace that Ralph Kruger likes to go. Um, do you think that this is sustainable in a sense of pace of play that Ralph Kruger uh, wants these guys to, to go at? I think, in all honesty, it's going to be up to the players. Um, we've seen them. I don't. Uh, I don't want to use the word quit because that's a uh, that's maybe a little harsher than I want to say, but uh, they definitely dialed back last season when uh, they received. Yes. Yes. uh, That's a good word. Um, So, yeah. So, I mean, it's up to them. I mean, if they, if they really are sick and tired of losing, if they're really sick and tired of being an embarrassment in the national hockey league and they feel, Hey, if we follow what Ralph wants us to do and we see the results from it and they do it for, six months, then yes, I think we can see a difference. Um, the one thing that's a really cool stat from these opening three games is they've already got points from 14 different guys. Last year we saw Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhart, and Jeff Skinner all the time, and that was about it. And the fact that there are other guys contributing, Marcus Johansson looks great. Uh, he's playing alongside Skinner now, so they got a little more balance. The, the uh, off-criticized line of uh, Zemgis Gergensen, Johan Larson, and Kyle Lopozo has without exaggerating, about seven breakaways or two-on-ones. I mean, they've, they've adopted this. So, I mean, the fact that there's more than just one line doing it is a very good sign for Sabres fans. Now, let's talk about Victor Olofsson for a little bit. Sabres fans have been excited to see him, and he has not disappointed so far. Three goals and an assist, all three of his goals coming on the power play. Um, your, your first impressions of Victor Olofsson in a Sabres sweater? When I did my 10 bold Sabres predictions at the start of the year over at the Athletic, number one was Olison will score more than 31 goals, which would put him fourth on the Sabres all-time rookie list, and I see no reason to change that now. Um, I, it's, uh, it's 
kind of interesting to call him a rookie just in the fact that he's 24 year old. He's the oldest guy on his line with Eichel and uh, Reinhardt. Um, but the fact that he scored in the Swedish league, the fact that they let him score in the American Hockey League last year, he comes up, he's got a shot that's unmatched in this organization, and he's got Jack and Sam passing it to him. I mean, that's just a great combination for him, and he's really starting to take advantage of that, which I kind of expected. I mean, I can't emphasize enough that how different the shot is, how hard it is, how accurate it is, how quickly he can get it off with people in front of him. It's just a, it's just a different thing that we've seen in a long time. Can you does it remind you of anybody you've been around the game a long time you've been covering the Sabres for uh, what 15 years uh, yeah and has been a fan since you can probably remember uh, does it remind you of, of of anything that you've like you say it's it's tough to describe but what what would you put it in the category of um Thomas Vanek um the fact that uh Thomas could get it off quickly the fact that he did have the accuracy um I think Olofsson's is harder than Vanek's was, but just the fact that they both know where and when to shoot it and how to get to those spaces to shoot it, uh, that's the closest comparison I got, and that's a two-time 40-goal scorer for the Sabres there, so that's a pretty good uh, company. We're in conversation with the Athletics' John Vogel here on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. What do you? How do you think about it? you're the or you're the first one, by the way, to be included in this new sponsorship, John. You're like I, you're you're the A lister that comes out right out of the gate for this sponsorship. That's uh, I, I'm I'm honored. Um, although as a Buffalo State grad, I don't know if I'm allowed to do say that, but no, I said it's an honor. You can you're allowed to sit there silently if you feel uncomfortable. I'm not going to make you <laughs> respond. Uh, tell tell me this is a guy I'm curious about, Rasmus Ristolainen. Um, Obviously is not timid these first few games. Uh, does not seem like he's pouting when he's skating out there. I guess, and this is just my sports uh, psychology at play here, getting off to a quick start after the strange offseason that was Ristolainen's, uh, the, we had to translate it, but he was telling media back home that he didn't really want to be a, a Sabre anymore. Coming here, maybe having some fun, laying some hits here in the crowd. How influential do you think this start could be to Ristolainen buying in and maybe finally turning into that player that Sabres fans uh, thought he might have been uh, when he first arrived? Yeah, there's two. There's a couple ways to look at it. One is maybe he does see that the, this team can start winning and buys into uh, what they want. Um, the physicality has never been an issue. Um, obviously, he gets. Uh, the guy can throw some hits. He gets up for big games against guys like Ovechkin and Matthews, and he's not afraid to throw his body around. It's just when the next two games, when it's Arizona and, I don't know, some other team, he doesn't get up for those games and falters. Um, so that's the big thing is the consistency with him, not the physical play he can do. Um, but the other thing, yeah, if he buys in, hey, that's great. The other thing is they still have a – once Brandon Montour comes back in about three weeks, then they still have too many right-handed defensemen. Obviously, injuries can happen all the time. We just saw that uh, Connor Sheary is now out week-to-week with an injury, so who knows what the lineup's going to look like in three weeks. But there's still too many right-handed defensemen, and once uh, everyone gets healthy, they still have a, they can still ship them out. So maybe he wants to play good, so other teams will look for him. I know the Sabres, um, from what I was told, they were asking quite a bit for him over the summer, which is why nothing came. And if he does continue to play well, then, hey, maybe they can get what they were asking for him or at least something close to it. John, speaking of the the defense, it it was a major weakness of the team going back several years. Phil Housley 
was supposed to be a defensive coach uh, to improve that area of the game. It didn't really work out. What differences have you seen from the way the Sabres are playing defense now from last year, and, and do, you, do you see how much improvement? Yeah, so the, uh, the, A, the personnel's improved. Um, Colin Miller has been, uh, it's been a nice, very nice addition, both uh, defensively and offensively. He's, uh, he's got a slap shot with the power that can uh, rival Olofsson, although the accuracy is more, uh, more closer to Alexei Zitnik and his over the net shots at the moment, but I mean, that's still, uh, uh, it's still quite the weapon. So the personnel's been better. Um, Scandella's played, played well. McCabe's been, uh, healthy. Uh, Rasmus Dahlin leads the team in points, so the personnel's good. Um, but just the fact, uh, like I alluded to earlier, just the way they're playing—they're not timid. They're uh, they're stepping into guys. They're they're pinching more. They're just uh, the way it is. They're just really stepping up, you know, being more aggressive, and uh, forcing turnovers, which is which is better than standing in front of your net and block trying to block shots and seeing pucks whiz by you, which is what uh, Phil's thing. And the other thing that Phil had, they do, used to do man-to-man coverage a lot, so guys just would get lost in the coverage and there'd be too many openings. And uh, this is more obviously of a you stay in your zone and you cover the guy, and it's uh, working out a lot better this year. John, we've talked about it uh, here on this show and uh, – and, uh... Uh, over beers uh, a handful of times uh, since over the last few months. And, uh, you know, I, I was not a fan of the Sabres firing Phil Housley after one year. I did believe in some continuity. Uh, I, how big of a difference can there really be in constantly changing your coach? What happens if you don't like this guy? I was a proponent of these players having to stand up and take ownership of them of themselves at some point. Now, that said, once they did fire Phil Housley, I was a fan of the Ralph Kruger hire uh, if if they had to bring somebody in. But I guess go ahead and, and kick me when I'm wrong. But uh, how big of a difference has just the change been? Obviously, it, it matters that you don't bring in uh, a, another dullard, uh, that Ralph Kruger is a dynamic personality. But change for change's sake, do you think that made the difference or did it have to be somebody like Kruger? I think he has does definitely has more of a commanding presence, uh, both on the ice and in the room. Phil, uh, Phil was a great. He was a, great's probably a little strong. He was a good one-on-one coach. Uh, if he was talking to a guy on the side, they would be able to communicate his message better. Um, but when they had the group setting, uh, Phil would just lose them. I don't know what it was. He just didn't have that presence to keep their attention. Whereas uh, right now, Ralph has their attention. Um, First day, Kyle Opposa said he walked in and you knew who was in charge. He's an alpha male. You know, uh, you know what you're getting. This guy is the boss. He demands it, but the way he does it is with respect, and it's something you got to pay attention to and and admire. Um, now that said, we're only a few weeks in. Um, if they're losing, if they lose, uh, go on a losing streak. Can he? Can he still be the same inspiring leader? That's the thing we're going to have to find out from these guys. Um, they didn't like the last two coaches. Um, although at the beginning they did. Um, so we'll see. Uh, they obviously, they really do like Ralph. They, they like the presence he has in the room. And uh, if they can keep it up, then, hey, this, is, uh, this might be a new team. Well, John, thanks for joining us. And uh, I know you have a game to cover tonight, so it means a lot to me that you give me part of your, uh, your day because this is, uh, this is routine part of a, a beat writer's day right now. You're trying to get some things done at home before you get out to the arena, right? Yes, you got I just, it. All right. Uh, trying, 
transcribe some of the quotes from uh, this morning and yesterday, and now I'll head to ro- hit the road uh, to beat the, uh, beat the traffic down there. But, hey, no, I'm always glad to talk to you, my friend. All right. That's John Vogel on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. John, thanks for joining us and being our number one NCCC Thunderwolves hotline guest. I will. Uh, it's my, my pleasure. I'll buddy. send you the certificate, and it'll be framed, and uh, you can hang it right above your desk. All right. All right. John Vogel, The Athletic. When we come back, so much more on the Tim Graham Show brought to you by CTBK. We're going to have Jeff Glore, Ken Eastgrad, and CBS Evening News stalwart, Marcel-Louis Jacques from ESPN, UB Hoops coach Jim Weitzel, Joel Staniszewski with all the betting tips. Loaded show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Shampoo Travis Bison Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. More after this. Tim Graham Show. It's going to be 92 in Nashville on Saturday. Oh, no kidding? Yeah. So I'll bring those tear-off uh, warm-up pants like I'm coming off the bench in an NBA game. Calculating. And I'll just <laughs> rip off my pants. The Tim Graham Show. Every Wednesday. Is this every Wednesday? Every Wednesday. Sports Radio 1270. 1270. The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. Keep touting this full show, and we are not going to break stride. We go right from John Vogel of The Athletic to another media kingpin. What? Oh, I hear he's giggling already. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Ken Moore, Ken, <laughs> Ken Moore East graduate. CBS News anchor Jeff Glore is joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Jeff Glore, thanks for coming on. I can't fo- possibly follow up John Vogel. I didn't hear it, but I know I can. That I think awesome. you can. You're calling. You're on location in Minnesota. You'll be the the person calling in from the farthest away today. Uh, can you tell us what you're working on? Uh, we're shooting a couple different stories here. I can't tell you just yet, but. Um, yeah, two different stories we're shooting this week, so I'm going to end up flying back uh, late tonight so I can put together a story for <clears throat> Saturday morning. All right. Does it matter that it's Bill's bye week? Does that help you get your work done any faster? It totally does. I schedule everything around the bye weeks and, and plans at home and everything else. Yeah. Suddenly, suddenly a, a date nights or date afternoons happen on Sundays at 1 or 2 o'clock on bye weeks. Are we allowed to talk current events Jeff or no? Sure. Yeah, why not? Well, I mean, I, I'm on your bio page right here because I like to have that up when I'm interviewing somebody in case there's maybe something I've missed or, you know, some other little tidbit uh, that 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 I didn't know. And as soon as I click on the CBS News bio of you, there is Donald Trump doing a live video because it is CBS News website. So you get yeah. that. There are things going on in the world today that Jeff Glore is tapped into and has experience covering. I feel like I'd be silly not to ask you questions about current events, but I don't know if you're comfortable doing that. 
Wait, wait, what's going? Is that a I biplane? Mean, Are you on? Let me. What is that? That was an airplane. Rig. Was it's a big rig. I'm in. I'm in uh, Granite Falls, Minnesota, which is home to Andrew Volstead, who wrote the Volstead Act, which banned the uh, consumption of alcohol 100 years ago. Um, the end of this month, so it's the 100th anniversary of the Volstead Act. So, so is that? Work- so now you are going to tell me what you're working on to avoid <laughs> questions about President Trump. Is that what it is? Is this a dodge? It, it, it's one. Of, no, it's not. It's one. Of, it's one of the stories that we are uh, working on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm always happy to field events. I still field questions about current events. I mean, have you ever been to Ukraine? I, think, I have not. No. No. See now, Bobby and Jonah feel like I'm asking you that question because I'm interrogating you. Like my next question was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? Yeah, why are yeah why aren't you uh, in front of Congress today testifying? So, all right, this Go is. Ahead. What do you got? Though? I don't know. I wasn't planning on this. Seeing Trump talking <laughs> to me with you, you ha- at your at your studio shot, your publicity shot with you with your arms crossed, looking like a badass, like you're going to answer, you're going to get to the bottom of it. And on the other side of the web page is Donald Trump giving a press conference about getting impeached. I mean, I've been able to detach just slightly at working on Saturday mornings and doing some of these longer pieces um, from a little bit of the daily grind, um, which has been a little bit refreshing in some ways. I mean, I've been lucky enough that I've had enough different jobs, both before CBS News and at CBS News, that I've got no experience, you know, the news and the cycles in different ways. Um, so... That's been nice at this moment. Um, it's interesting. He, uh, president's actually coming here tomorrow, um, and we're leaving right before. Um, but getting around in the cities where presidential visits happen um, is always just a total mess. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit happy we're, <clears throat> we're able to get out late tonight. Well, Jeff, I think I can empathize from a sports perspective i not clearly not on the scale that you have covered news but the difference between being on the beat covering hard news on a day-to-day basis not knowing what's going to happen next needing to be on your toes a little bit more uh the breaking aspect of it the stress that goes with it versus working on a feature which i've been doing predominantly for my last probably six seven years in, in the business as a sports writer how how do you handle working on a feature when such uh, major stuff is happening? Do you miss it? Do you feel the draw to want to get back to that grind? Uh, because there is such joy in, in telling a, a meaningful story through a feature, too. You can't do both. Yeah, I'm I'm typically so caught up in it. Like, we, we just left a shoot, and we were taking – I was sort of hanging around for a while because they were breaking down – the crew was breaking down the gear and I was getting a little impatient because I'm like, I want to start writing this and I really want to start working on this. And you know, you sort of get that like one track mind. You just want to focus on it. And so I think, um, yeah, it's interesting. You've had the same experiences. So, I mean, um, but when I'm, when I, when I'm working on that, um, I just, uh, I'm, I'm sort of caught up in the story and I'm not thinking about what I'm not doing. Um, I think, uh, I know. And, um, and so that's it. I've been, but I've been able to toggle back and forth a little bit here throughout my career in general and at CBS News in between doing, you know, a lot of the daily stuff and the topical stuff where your pieces are much shorter to, 
to some more of the long-form reporting, whether it's a feature story or investigative story. We're in conversation with Jeff Glor, co-host of CBS This Morning Saturday. Uh, Jeff, I guess just your general thoughts about living in a time as a journalist at CBS News when we are on the verge of impeachment. Well, it's happened before, right? Sure. And it may or may not happen again. Um, Not covering this right now as closely as I was a year ago or two years ago, um, I would say that, um, I don't know, maybe it gives me a little more perspective, but I don't have any... um, I don't have any big thoughts because I'm sort of caught up. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate- All right, guys. Have a good one. Sorry. You're on the air, Jeff. I know. Our crew is saying our, our is leaving. They're this is very unprofessional. I know. I'm sorry. Um, good guys. Um, um, I don't... Yeah. Sorry. I told you I could ask it. doesn't mean I have to answer it. <laughs> That's true. It puts you in a <laughs> tough spot when you are a journalist who needs to be neutral. Uh, you're not an opinion guy. You're not a talking head pundit. So yeah, that's uh, let's let's move on to the bills. I'll let you off the hook. So Jeff Glory, your bills—they're four and one. Um, what are your? I should guess be five, should be should should be five and zero. Oh. They could be two and three if they hadn't uh, if they hadn't <laughs> yeah. come across a couple of. Uh, kickers who are on the verge of getting cut, but you're right; they could be five and zero. Oh. Um, how how much are you buying in to uh, to these bills, and whether or not this is real, or whether it's going to fall apart? Well, it pains me to say this that you were 100 percent correct when we spoke before the season started. Um, but yeah, you said they were going to have an unbelievable defense, which they do, and that the offense was going to have to engage in some maintenance and and be careful obviously they haven't been careful all the time but they've done enough to win um i say five and oh because it was you know it was frustrating to see josh allen knocked out of the uh, patriots game because he's been so however the performance has been through the rest of the game he's been so clutch in the fourth and at the end of games is that i it, it would have been nice to see him finish that game the game against the Patriots to see what happened. Um, not that he could have. I'm not saying he should have. But, he does uh, have a flair for fourth quarter heroics. He has. He's shown that he's not overwhelmed by clutch situations. And so, would you rather have a quarterback who goes off in the first and second quarter, or one who goes off in the fourth quarter? <laughs> I'm only saying this half jokingly, but with <laughs> with uh, Matt Barkley. Being a little bit more of a game manager, I would think the type of guy who's not going to take risks. What what if the Bills uh, just waited for Josh Allen to and brought him out of the bullpen? You know, if they needed him late in the game and they're down a couple of scores, <laughs> they they take a hey, Barkley. You managed us here. You did fine, but it's time for Josh to come in and try to get us uh, get us to overcome this nine point deficit. No, but but they are starting all these games. They they. they Am I wrong that they're starting all these games in like shotgun and they're just like throwing the ball the first ten plays? Well, well, the the opener for sure. That's uh, against the Jets. That's the way it was. I'd have to rack my brain. But yeah, they they don't mind slinging it, and especially with Devin Singletary being out of the lineup. But you know, Frank Gore's been a. a it's it's hard to say that a guy who's thirty six and has been doing it for so long is a revelation. But I don't think anybody expected Frank Gore to be uh, uh, to be as 
productive and such a pivotal part of the offense as he's been since Singletary's been out. And I'm going back especially to when they still had LaShawn McCoy on the roster. I think Bills fans might have said, all right, especially after they got a load of uh, Singletary in the preseason, all right, McCoy and Singletary and get out of their way. Uh, so now Frank Gore is just uh, – he closed out the game for him on, uh, on Sunday in Tennessee. Hundred percent with with a with a, a patchwork offensive line at that point. Yeah, missing two guys. Um, um, but, but my, Jeff's so my right. question is about Singletary is is he? You guys know this better than I do. So I mean, is is the injury less serious, more serious, the same as we think? What's happening? It's hard to say. Now that they're on the bye week, we don't get a look at what Singletary is up to on a day to day basis. Uh, we're not at the facility this week, uh, but. You know, Sean McDermott has hinted that he's been close for the last couple of games, so I think the week off will help. Uh, I would think that uh, I, well, I hesitate to say because I don't want to play the role of uh, you know a medical professional, but my expectation would be to see him uh, against the Dolphins, or maybe because the Dolphins are so lousy, the Bills can take a calculated risk and say, "All right, we're going to keep Devin Singletary sideline for one more week," and in addition because we think we can get by without him, especially at home against maybe one of the worst teams in NFL history. You can never take a week off in the NFL. True. Truer words have never right. been spoken. I mean, who knows what happens. Yeah, what um, if the Bills lose at home to Miami? You can't, uh, you can't not, take it for granted. Not, let's not think about that. But yeah, <laughs> it's, it's possible. Um. I don't know what are the what are the what are the betting what are the what are the odds are you guys you asked me what I thought their record was going to be when we spoke in August and I think I said nine and seven or ten and six so I, what's the general feeling now well nine and seven's looking really good I think ten and six I think there's a seventy one percent chance based on and I just based on the number of times teams begin a season four and one. Uh, I think a 71% chance now that they make the playoffs. But listen to this, Jeff, and I don't know how closely you've looked at the schedule, but they come out of the bye with three straight home games, Miami, Philadelphia, Washington. They have uh, and now overall over their final 11 games, they get Miami twice, Washington, the first team to fire its head coach, um, Cleveland, which looks like uh, as scary as they looked on paper or as impressive as, as they seemed, you get some pressure on Baker Mayfield and he is, uh, his knees start knocking. He's a totally different quarterback and the bills are able, uh, you know, we know how good the bills defense is. They have Denver, another bad team. They have Pittsburgh. Now it's at Pittsburgh, but who knows who their quarterback's going to be, uh, in, uh, on December 15th. And uh, then they finish up with the Jets again. So you skipped all the games that they might lose. <laughs> well, all right. You're only so, counting the wins. No. Well, I'm saying that. Yeah. Let's. The, you, so well, that, but if you're if, that you're, if in, you're counting the games they'll be favored in now that they should win, you're looking at what well, I don't know, like heading into the last quarter of the season, games that will be favored in, then they should be like ten and two at that point. And if, how nice if, is if it? How nice is it that they have three home games right after the bye? Because they're they're zero and three on the road right now, or I'm sorry, three and zero on the road right now for the first time since 1993. So they've built up a road cushion. They now have a dominant home schedule for the rest of the way. Um, no, no, I think the schedule is is, and it's 
based on win percentage right now, here in week entering week six, uh, it is the weakest remaining schedule uh, of any team in the NFL. Now that includes two games against the Dolphins, uh, and well, a handful of teams with with no wins. Two two yeah. against the Dolphins, Washington. I don't know. So, anyways, looks good. Looks good for your Bills. Let me let me ask you an insane question: Is there any way the Giants beat the Patriots? Well, is not- it a Super Bowl? <laughs> Eli, Eli <laughs> yes, Manning's yes, not playing. Yes, for the answers to that, but. There, uh, no, I don't think so. Especially the Giants are down to their third string running back, uh, Joe Hillman. Uh, that's not to say that Daniel Jones can, you know, throw the ball around the yard. Uh, Sterling Shepard, I believe, already has been ruled out for the game. Um, but the Patriots' offense has not looked great, and you never can tell. Short week, two games in a span of five days for both uh, for both teams. Um, I, I think that. Yeah, I think that the game is uh, a little neutralized because of it's, it's a Thursday night, and uh, you could throw the the point spreads out the window a lot of times with those games too. So, uh, but I think that the Patriots have such a good defense; they're going to be going up against a patchwork offense uh, from the Giants. So, I would think that the Patriots' defense probably wins the game. Yeah. How about your Sabers? Before we let you go, uh, have you had a chance to get emotionally invested after three games? I was I was emotionally invested before the season started, but um, I, I mean Kruger he's interesting. He's, he's been a, a fascinating coach, I think. Um, interesting hire, right? Um, it was um, it was nice to see them at least get to overtime in that third game. That Skinner play was filthy, right? Um, in the Columbus game. It was a Columbus game where he took the puck away, right? Yes. That was awesome. Well, they've had, and Olafson has had some amazing shots. Um, I'm trying to think. Eichel has had, I mean, the individual plays, uh, you know, they had a standing ovation at the first intermission of their home opener uh, against New Jersey, and it's everything. It's It's been a little, you know, I don't know how great the goaltending has been. I mean, it's not, I don't think we're watching the second coming of Ryan Miller out there, but um, but yeah, every guys on the fourth line have had some dazzling plays, and John Vogel was just on uh, the segment before you, and and he was mentioning that that uh, Ocposo fourth line has had uh, seven breakaways, you know, or odd man rushes through the first three games, or at least you know that was a rough count that John came up with. So everybody's playing well, and it seems as though it's a it's a motivation thing, and that's what Kruger's known for, and hot start out of the gate can can carry him uh, at least uh, to make him competitive. What about, and I'm sorry I missed this, the, the conversation with, with John, but what about the defense in terms of, like, once you get past Deline and I, I, don't, I haven't seen every minute of every game. I don't know how they're doing. Well, they're playing well, but they're need, as John points out, they need to have, uh, there's going to need to be a move made eventually, at least he believes, because there are too many right-handed defensemen, and they're going to need to find a, a better, uh, some more diversity uh, on the on the back end, but... For now, they've been playing pretty well, and Darlene looks really good, as you mentioned. So yeah, go ahead and get more emotionally invested in your in your Western New York sports teams, Jeff, and my Western New York sports talk radio shows. Yes, I mean, I'm sorry. Did you was that a plural or was you mean show? I, I apologize. Singular. Yeah, you're. Yes. Um, 
and my athletic reading, which has moved to my main, the main front screen on my phone. Listen and is, to this. And is, and is refreshed multiple times daily. Listen to this. Hey, hey, Jeff, real quick before you go, have you done any reporting on the vaping crisis in America? <laughs> I, have, I have not. Oh. Uh, I was Our morning show has done a lot. We're, we're preparing <laughs> for this intervention with Bobby. Yeah, we're, we're no. worried about Bobby, uh, the producer, but... He's all well, right. He thinks it's funny right I'll now. I'll be all right, I think. All right. You, hey, the good Lord gave you two lungs for a reason. <laughs> Got an extra. Jeff Glore of CBS <laughs> he's not, News. He's not popping like THC in there, is he? No. Is he, is he I'm not. Sh- air? I, no. I, I, hey, I'm not checking it. Those, I don't know. Those are the ones that'll okay. kill you. Yes. Jeff knows Correct. what's up. Thanks for joining yeah. us, Jeff. Safe travels from Minnesota. All right, gentlemen. All right. That was Jeff Glore of CBS News on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Great to have them aboard as uh, our hotline sponsor. When we come back, Marcel Louis-Jacques of ESPN is going to talk some bills. It's the bye week, but still so much to talk about as we were just doing so with Jeff Glore. We didn't even get into buy or sell on Josh Allen, the Zay Jones trade, any other trade? There are a lot of rumors out there. There was a report yesterday that the Bills were sniffing around Eli Manning. Maybe Jeff Glor has seen Stephon Diggs out in Minnesota. Could have updated on what wing spots he's been to lately. That's true. Oh, that was a pretty good thing going around the internet. I like the one where he was in front of the Bears, the singing Bears at the uh, Boulevard Mall. It was probably the best one, yeah. I like that. All right, when we come back, we're going to have so much more on the Tim Graham Show. Brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and public consultants. What? You know, I just saw Gene over the weekend. I'm vowing to him that I'm not going to botch this anymore. I just did. CPAs and public consultants. Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. With Jonah Bronstein, Bobby Rosati on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, The Tim Graham Show. You're a young athlete. You're brimming with confidence. You're, I don't know if you're single or not. Are you single? On Twitter at 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. And on The Fan's app. Free to download in the App Store. Mike, this is a hot mic now. I totally missed my cue. I was texting Joel Staniszewski in Vegas, doing some uh, topics, things we wanted to address, so I missed Bobby's finger point. Oh, that's all right. Well, oh, we're back. on the air? Huh? We're on the air? We are now. He's talking into Mike. I didn't know that. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. Based in Amherst. It's their 25th anniversary this year, Jonah. What'd you get them? I got them a, a merger, an acquisition. Uh, a silver acquisition? Uh, an invoice. I sent them an invoice a couple days ago. 
and uh, they're there for you for any of your business operation needs. Anything you can imagine, call CTBK, 716-630-2400. Well, Bobby, yeah, what, what, you don't think that was a professional of me to say <laughs> it like that? 2400? No, I just hear people say words like that. 2400? 100, or, uh, yeah, 100, 100, cousin. What a, you know what I heard a lot of uh, over the weekend was about, talk about the Tennessee Titans. Oh, God. I can't, yeah, I can't do that. I love it when the Titans play the Coats. I, get, yeah. I love those matchups. It's just a mash of speech impediments. Yeah. Well, it's that's a thing. That's a Buffalo thing. Yeah. I think. You know, like Tim yeah. Hortons, you hear that oh, a lot? Oh, yeah, yeah. Or shut up. Shut up. I think you do that as a joke sometimes. <laughs> I've never heard anybody say that. You've never heard? Well, I mean, maybe of... like the Clueless movie, but oh, yeah. like not like people around town. I know I, I know several uh, girls that say it like that, or I knew in the past. So I must just In the past, those. though. You would, yeah, you I don't know them now. You I, wouldn't dare keep them around, no. not if they talk like that. Right, you get them out. You move them out. Joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline is Marcel Louis-Jacques of ESPN. He's been covering the Bills since... The big crooked left town. Mike Rodak, <laughs> gone to Alabama. Marcel Louis-Jacques, he's like, you know, that, that saying, the most popular guy on, on most football teams is the backup quarterback because they get tired of the starter. Well, Marcel has stepped in and has taken over. He's now a fan favorite as the starting quarterback for ESPN. Be, in, at first, because he's not Mike Rodak, people were willing to give him a shot. But now the guy is doing some awesome work has been from the start marcel thanks for joining us hey thanks for having me man i, I still feel like me and mike uh we missed out on a twitter meltdown moment by getting a photo together this weekend did but, you ha- did you uh, run into mike in nashville i did not i uh i really stayed clear of broadway until the very last night until sunday night and uh it just didn't it didn't mash up like that but would have loved to man i i, I like mike yeah, Mike's good people. Had a chance to I had breakfast with him before the game on Sunday. I did not go down to uh into the city at all. I was not interested. I stayed in the hotel room. Uh so Marcel, this is your first look at the Bills. You are not um indoctrinated with all of the losing 17 straight years without the playoffs all of the woe is me waiting for the other shoe to drop yeah four and one's fine but here comes three straight losses out of the bye or uh, a a serious injury is going to doom us Uh, there is a lot of that I think still with the Bills it's hard to for some Bills fans to jump on and, and and get behind the team or to believe but as someone who's seeing this team through a fresh eye, what do you think of what you've seen so far? I think, uh, I mean, I think this team's for real. This is uh, it's something that you could kind of tell a little bit during training camp and, and that you could kind of predict when you look at the schedule. But uh, the defense is just light years better than I thought it would be, and I already thought that it was going to be excellent. Uh, Josh Allen is kind of who we thought he was as well. Uh, you know, somebody's got promise. He's got potential. He's got this, you know, sky high ceiling. And then he just got like this ankle weight, keeping him from it, like this, this chain, keeping him to the ground. And that's that, that hero ball trait. But, uh, you know, if he, if he sheds that, 
And, you know, this offense continues to kind of gel together, uh, you know, stop turning the ball over so much, start being a little more efficient with the drives, uh, maybe add a something, something dynamic, like some sort of guy, you get the ball into his hands and you, it's must-see television. Like, you can't take your eye off the field because he could take it to the house. Uh, then I think this team's a contender like that. And uh, I, it's, it's exciting time to be here in Buffalo. I'm glad I got to be here for, you know, the dollar bills, the hundred dollar bills, not the like crumpled up, you know, <laughs> tossed under the couch bills. Like this is a good time to be in Buffalo. Those wadded up bills when you wake up in the morning after a night out that are still in your oh, jeans yeah. and uh, you know, you're not sure what's on them. Yeah. Those bills. Yeah. You know, it's, they still, they're a little, they're a little damp. You don't know what <laughs> with, but you just kind of like toss it off to the side <laughs> <laughs> Marcel, it's first impressions, uh, and they can be dangerous sometimes. But uh, Duke Williams really was uh, fun to watch. It was, in, it was. Uh, I loved being able to hear the fans uh, go Duke right out of the gate. The guy really hadn't even played, but the fans—that's you know—Bills fans are on top of things. Uh, as soon as he touched the ball, fans were chanting his name. Uh, they've been—they've wanted to see him uh, since preseason. He steps in for Zay Jones. Uh, with 50 offensive snaps, Jones gets one, and then a couple of days gets traded. How much do you think this upgrade can help the Bills' offense? Yeah, it, it was. Uh, and is it I dangerous mean, so maybe to consider it an upgrade? Uh, you know, a blanket upgrade. I guess I should throw that in there. It's hard to say that Zay Jones wouldn't have done that against the Titans because he didn't get the opportunity. But I think the fact that just in one game, Duke Williams came in there and he gained either a first down or a touchdown on three of his four catches. So big moments came through the 29 yards are nothing to backflip over, but he just made plays and, and this league, it's a meritocracy, man. You get what you deserve and Duke deserves to be in this position. Uh, that's all we see at practice. If it's not every day, it feels like it's every week. He's mossing some corner. He's grabbing a one handed catch in the end zone and, and eventually it was just, it was too much. It was too much to ignore. And they gave Zay Jones ample opportunity this season. He just couldn't kind of, couldn't crack it with an improved receiver room. It's probably the best receiver room he's played in since he's been drafted. And he just kind of, it almost looked like he, he regressed. But um, yeah, it was, it was odd. You know, there's a lot that you just usually, you don't usually see in the league. You don't usually see a guy go from practice squad to 80% of his team's offensive snaps. Uh, you don't see a fan base go that crazy over a guy who spent who spent a month on the practice squad. And, and it was uh, it, it was cool to see uh, that those Duke chants were, were more indicative of how many Bills fans were in Nashville at this time. But uh, I think what he does is he, he gives them a consistent short yardage physical target, a guy who can help move the chains when defenses lock on to either Beasley or John Brown. He's a red zone threat. And I think he, his presence opens things up for other players on the field. You saw that brilliant call from Brian Dable last week when he called Lee Smith's number in the red zone. Duke Williams was open on the play, but I mean, Lee Smith was in his own zip code. Uh, it looked like he was back home, you know, he's from about three hours away from Nashville. It looked like he was, that's where he was, how open he was, man. So I think that it's an exciting addition to the offense, and hopefully for, for this team, Devin Singletary gets another week to heal up. 
those are two dimensions that they have not had uh, through five weeks. And uh, I think it could, you know, it could lead to a little more excitement. I think Singletary is probably the closest thing they've got to that dynamic offensive weapon. And, you know, what better, what better opponent than to try to unleash a new offense against than their week seven opponent, the Miami Dolphins. Hey, Marcel, this is uh, Jonah Bronstein. I'm sitting here in Mike Rodak's old co-host chair on this show, and even though he's not covering the team anymore, I do think he's paying attention enough that he was quick to remind me earlier this week that the Bills are 24th in ESPN's Football Power Index analytics stat. (laughs) Um, You're looking over at some of the other sites. Football Outsiders has them 19th. I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with that formula, but how do you square that? What are those computers not seeing, or what are – the rest of us not seeing that, that you know, we, we, we think the Bills might be better than 24th or 19th, but some of these computer anal- anal- analytics are telling us otherwise. So that's the, that's the road act that these people keep telling me about. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm even contractually obligated to or allowed to rebuke the FPI system. <laughs> but I could tell you the, the most important stat number whatever in football and those are w's wins they got they got four of them it doesn't matter how tough the schedule is this isn't college football you don't make the playoffs based on you know your your strength of schedule i mean it could be a tiebreaker but it's like the fifth or sixth tiebreaker you win the games that you're supposed to you're going to get in and uh ultimately that's that's kind of what it's taken into account and honestly it doesn't matter that much. Like uh, you have a week schedule today. You've got another week one coming up throughout the rest of the season. It'd be like that sometimes, you know, you can only play who's in front of you. And that really works in their favor in this case. So uh, wouldn't look too much into it. FBI is interesting. Uh, you know, when, when you want to talk about, uh, I guess when you want to compare schedules and want to compare opponents and just how tough they are. And it could mean, it could be an explanation if they reach the playoffs and struggle against a quality opponent, then you can look back and see what their FPI was. But, uh, I mean, until then you keep winning. It really doesn't matter what, what computers say. That's a pretty, uh, unambiguous stat. Marcel, uh, before we let you go, uh, we are at the bye and it's been a nice chunk of games, a third of the season, essentially, uh, five games have been played. If you had to pick an MVP, who would you go with? MVP in the league? No, with uh, with the Buffalo Bills right now. Ah, with the Buffalo Bills. I mean, I would I would argue it's it's Micah Hyde. He's doing things that you know the numbers might not always be there, but the way that he's he's used on that defense and how versatile he he's used, uh, I, I think it hinders opposing offenses from getting into a rhythm. Uh, you can also make the argument for. For Jerry Hughes there at defensive end, for for Trent Murphy as well, uh, or even man, the the long shot coming up here is uh, is John Brown. I think that's five straight games for him with seventy five receiving yards. He's on pace to set a new career high with thirteen hundred. But uh, you know, you can kind of pick who you you know. No, there's no wrong opinion there because I, I think that this team is really a, it's a sum of all parts kind of kind of unit there's no one part that you just say is 
mind-blowing incredible. There's no Christian McCaffrey-type impact. There's no Patrick Mahomes-type impact player. They just, it's really, they kind of epitomize the team game, not to sound too much like Sean McDermott there, but he's kind of got a point here. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you can go with any number of guys on defense and not be wrong at this point because uh, it is, well, I can't say it any better than you did, Marcel, some of all parts. Uh, John Brown, for the record, 28 catches, 390 yards, both lead the Bills, uh, and one touchdown uh, really stretches things out uh, and makes things possible for anybody else who wants to catch the ball. Uh, Marcel, thanks for joining us, and uh, we look forward to having you on some more uh, as the season goes on, if you're up for it. Absolutely, man. Love to be on. Marcel Louis-Jacques of ESPN on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Uh, When we come back, more Bills and Sabres talk. Maybe we'll work in a little baseball talk. We have UB basketball coach Jim Weitzel. He'll be joining us. And, of course, Joel Staniszewski. We're going to break down that Bills schedule and take a look at how many times the Bills should be favored, maybe what those point spreads will be. Joel's excellent at projecting those out even weeks in advance. Maybe uh, maybe there'll be some surprises as to when they're underdogs. That and more on the Tim Graham Show. Brought to you by CTBK, that's Shampoo, Travis, Bison, Kirshner, CPAs, and Business Consultants on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, Shampoo, Travis, Bison, and Kirshner is a full-service accounting firm that also offers expert consultation for growing and entrepreneurial businesses. Located in Amherst, CTBK specializes in maintaining a human connection and takes a bullish approach to their clients' goals and visions with a no-surprises billing policy. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, or practically any other business operation need you can imagine, call CTBK for a consultation at 716-630-2400. That's 716-630-2400. Shampoo, Travis, Bisa, and Kirshner. A quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. 716-630-2400. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show, of course, is brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Bisa, and Kirshner. CPAs and business consultants. They're based in Amherst, uh, 25 years. And uh, celebrating that silver anniversary this year. CTBK specializes in maintaining a human connection and takes a bullish approach to their clients' goals and visions. No surprises billing policy, I'm telling you, Jonah. Accounting taxes, litigation support, acquisitions, mergers. Give them a call at 716-630-2400. 716-630-2400 for Bobby. Uh, so I noticed you asked our last guest, Marcel Louis Jacques of ESPN, a rather pointed question regarding all of the analytics, the different power indexes, Football Outsiders has its rankings, everything based on the numbers, the data. 
that indicate the Bills are below average NFL team. In some ways. There's some statistics. Yardage differential, they're fourth in the league. So there's different ways you can look at the numbers to try to determine how good the Bills are. And one obvious way, as Marcel mentioned, is 4-1. and one. Uh, Second tie for second in the AFC. I don't know where that puts them in the NFL. But so if wins is the only stat that matter, the Bills are one of the best teams in the league. And looking at their schedule, they're going to get more wins, we think, and going to finish with one of the better records. But in different ways, what are these – you can – maybe disagree with the analytics or how they're applied, but they're telling us something. And is it something that we can see with our own eyes? Tim, have you noticed it watching the team or are the analytics telling us something that we haven't really seen yet about why the bills aren't getting the respect from these statistical models that they should maybe get, or we, some people think they should get based on being four and one and may, and as Sean McDermott says, a whisker away from being five and oh, well, I will say this, from what I see of the Buffalo Bills so far through five games is a super strong defense, a semi-adequate offense. It has a lot of flaws to work out still, most notably in between the quarterback's ear holes. Uh, Because when people talk about the Bills turning the ball over a lot, they really aren't aside from Josh Allen. They've committed only two giveaways. T.J. Yeldon has a fumble. Matt Barkley has a deflected interception, if, if, unless I'm forgetting something. I think those are the only two other giveaways that aren't attributed to Josh Allen. Now, mm-hmm. there, there was a tip pass, and there's some things like that, too. For So it's not, you know, but anyways. Right. There's well, and a and there's snap that the, maybe The blocked would... punt is, doesn't count as a turnover, but it's a turnover-like play. Absolutely. Matt Barkley threw an interception that didn't count as an interception because the ball hit the turf on a fourth down turnover. So those aren't giveaways, but they're turnover-like results. But here's something that I'm surprised more Bills fans or local media is not mentioning. And this goes back to, I think, (laughs) people who've covered the team during this period. And there's been some changeover in Western New York. uh, And I don't know if it's short memory or what, because there are still a lot of people who have covered the Bills for a long time. This start is reminiscent to me of 2008 when the Bills began 5-1. and one. They won their first four games. Then they lost at Arizona in a game in which Trent Edwards was concussed. And then they won after a bye week against San Diego to go to 5-1. and one. And so people looked at that loss to the Arizona Cardinals because Trent Edwards was concussed and thought, well, hey, these guys could be, well, the gate, they lost 41 to 17. They were slaughtered by the Cardinals. But it was, you could reason away the fact that, hey, we didn't have our quarterback in that game. Um, I'm on the verge of sneezing at any second now. I will try to duck underneath. It's literally the worst because you can't start a thought. You I can... can't stop it. I can't stop this from happening. My eyes are starting to water. Anywho, uh, And that Bills team went on to lose four in a row and seven of their next eight. They finished seven and nine on the season, well out of the playoff hunt. It didn't even, you know, the four and one start, or excuse me, the five and one start didn't matter. That's the last team to start five and one, correct? I believe so. But here's the thing that we, in retrospect, as that season started to deteriorate 
and just totally fall apart by late November, actually even mid-November, when they lost their fourth in a row to go to five and five, is that you looked back on that hot start and everybody was talking about, we should have seen it coming. The team wasn't as good as we thought it was because here were those four wins when they start 4-0. and The Seattle Seahawks, who finished that season 4-12. and The Jacksonville Jaguars were next up. Jacksonville finished the season 5-11. and The Oakland Raiders, that's who the Bills beat to go 3-0, and finish 5-11. and Then they lose at Arizona, go on their bye week, and then beat the San Diego Chargers to go to 5-1. and The San Diego Chargers finished that year 8-8. Eight eight. So what is it about these current Bills, and maybe it's because it's been so long since 2008, 11 years ago, fans who are in a certain sweet spot, let's say you're 25, 26 years old, you don't have clear memories of this, this 2008 season, and you say, yeah, we're 4-1, and one. okay, but you beat the Jets, who haven't won a game. You beat the Giants, who are awful. You have beat Cincinnati, which is awful. Proving to be awful. Uh, and Tennessee, which is meh, mediocre. Maybe they're looking, they're a 500 team so far. I mean, so, and and then we're looking at, and I just did it in the last segment. And with Jeff Glor, we went over the, the, the schedule of, you still have Miami on it twice, the Jets in the finale, and who knows who's going to be quarterback. And we go through all those games. You're right, Jonah. So this is my way of saying, I don't think you're wrong. And I think that 2008 is a terrific reminder of Bills fans to tap the brakes because you know damn well that three of those four wins are against donkey teams. And I'm not I'm counting Tennessee as as being at least credible. But the Jets, the Giants, and Cincinnati, donkey teams, and to take it a step further to include Tennessee. The Bills are two bad kickers away from being two and three. Right. They're, as Sean McDermott says, a whisker away from being five and oh. They're a few whiskers away from being two and three, even one and four. Yeah. That Jets game, the Tennessee game, and the Cincinnati game were all very much in the balance late, and the Bills got lucky on whether it was missed kicks. The Bills kind of won that Cincinnati game without being lucky, but it was very close to going the other way mm-hmm. as that game was going in the second half. Tim, I got another comparison for you. This came up this morning on the Jerry Sullivan Show. I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, Tim, but 1988, the <laughs> Buffalo Bills. <laughs> Buffalo Bills were four and one, like they are now. They eventually got to 11 and one, clinching the division after 12 weeks. Finished 12 and four, went to the AFC title game. Considered, I, I saw one power ranking thing: one of the best teams to not make a Super Bowl in that era and any era. A good team, right? You would call that a good team. One of the best defenses in the league, kind of the start of that Super Bowl Absolutely. era. Absolutely, 12-4 and four that year. Uh, Marv Levy's second full year uh, as the head coach. Mm-hmm. But at, that, at the point they were 4-1, and one, they had scored 77 points, had given up 82 points. It, at the end of the season, they beat a Minnesota team that was good in week one. They beat a Seattle team later in the season that finished 9-7. and seven. They really didn't beat any other good teams. So it's... And there's a lot of other similarities between the way that team was built, their strengths, their weaknesses. Jim Kelly threw more interceptions and touchdowns that season. 
But in the end, it turned out to be one of the best Bills seasons ever, at least to that point. And only the, the, those same teams having better seasons a few years later are really some of the only teams ever in the history of this franchise that have been better than that 1988 team. And so, and that team got better as it went on. They were a young team and winning some games that, not that they shouldn't have won, but were a little bit easier to win earlier in the season, gave them confidence and got them on a roll to beat better teams or be a better team later in the season. They started scoring more points. They started beating teams by wider margins. I think what the analytics are telling us about the Bills is they haven't really beaten anybody yet. They've won by a play or two but haven't really outplayed, other than that Giants game, like outplayed the other team for a full game yet. I, I would agree with that. I think there's all kinds of reasons to be um, hesitant and just not go ahead and chalk up the playoffs. And these, these formulas might be telling us that based on past results or whatever goes into these analytics, being bad on offense doesn't get canceled out by being good on defense. No, and if you had a 71% chance of going to the playoffs when you're 4 and 1 or whatever it is when you're well, the Bills were 5 and 1 in 2008 and didn't come close to making it. Mm-hmm. They totally collapsed. So the percentages being in your favor, you know, that's that's for good teams. <laughs> you know, there are 29% of those teams didn't deserve to be 4 and 1 according to the math or didn't deserve to be project. So, yeah, let's let's hang on. And let's see what happens to the Bills, and most importantly, whether or not Josh Allen can work these mistakes, this recklessness out of his system. And as I talked to Brett Favre uh, last week, and uh, and Josh Allen indicated, and I know that the information from that story was given to Josh Allen, whether or not he absorbed it is another thing, but um, that. Josh Allen did admit at the podium after the game in in Nashville on Sunday that he learned a lot that game. Problem is, we've heard him say that before, and uh, we'll see what happens. Okay, when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK, we're going to have UB basketball coach Jim Weitzel on the line to talk about uh, the Bulls, their upcoming season, uh, the Mid-American Conference, how practice is going. Uh, He's uh, a first-year head coach. Of this uh, UB program, he's been head coach in the past, of course. Um, A loaded resume, really, for a guy who a lot of people in western New York still cock cock their head when you say Jim Weitzel. You know, he's he's in charge of this program. It's a damn good program, and he has has the credentials to keep it going. We're going to talk to him when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis Besaw, and Kirshner on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Tim Graham Show. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Sports writer Tim Graham, who interviewed the Duggernaut. This is historic, Tim. Hey, let's not fake a newcomer. It's cucumber. Our friend Tim Graham. Hey, Tim. And you, Tim. The Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham, who's been ahead of everyone else. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. From Greece, she had a thirst for knowledge. She studied sculpture at St. Martin's College. That's where I... Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought she to you by CTBK. Here with Jonah Bronstein, my co-host, Bobby Rosati, producing the show and doing a bang-up job today. 
had a lot of calls. So Bobby's been working all kinds of buttons and levers and inclined planes and pulleys. I'm going to waste no time because our next guest actually knows how to run a soundboard. Or at least he should have. It would be FCC violation, I think, if he didn't, because I heard a story about him. Joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline is UB basketball coach Jim Weitzel. Former disc jockey Jim Weitzel. Wow. How's uh, Jim, are you there? That's true. K- KIFG uh, Studios in Iowa Falls and Hampton. Uh, gentlemen, how are you? Doing great, Jim. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Did you have to learn how to run a board? Uh, your father owned the station. I mean, I don't need to go in the whole background there. Yeah, but the, they th- the privilege, the privilege life of uh, of your dad owning the station. I got the the late shift. Uh, I never moved. I never moved out of that shift. So I guess I I knew I needed to get out of that calling. Uh, I did. I had to learn uh, all the uh, all the FCC regulations and uh, when to start to start it up. If you did get the early morning shift and when to make sure you're turned off and all that good stuff and Learned all that, so uh, had to take a test, and uh, I took it. I think it was about sixteen years old. So <laughs> you can see the talent pool was, was a little low in Iowa Falls at the time. <laughs> and I'll be explaining this on a story uh, soon at the Athletic, but it sounds a lot more glamorous than it than it really was. <laughs> that that Jim Weitzel's dad owned a radio station. So, so cool. don't think yeah. of Jim Weitzel as coming from some uh, privileged uh, silver spoon <laughs> uh, upbringing. Uh, Jim, thanks for joining us to talk about your season, which opens uh, October 24th with the exhibition against Damon, uh, and then for real, November 8th against Dartmouth. Um, it's your first uh, season uh, as the UB Bulls head coach. Of course, uh, uh, quite extensive uh, background as associate head coach, as an assistant. You've been a uh, head coach uh, in the past. How does it feel to be in this spot, taking over a program that you're very familiar with? You've been here at UB for, what, five years now. You've been the X's and O's guy, but now you're the head coach. How has the transition felt? You know, the transition has been great in terms of uh, the players, you know, I mean, the returning guys coming back. Uh, We've known each other for a long time, a lot of these kids, you know, Javon Graves and Devontae Jordan, Brock Bertram. I mean, these are kids that I've been around for several years, so uh, that's that's been the good part of it. Uh, obviously, we've got a lot of new guys. We've got five new recruits, and we had two guys sitting out last year. So there's a lot of newness, but there's also a little bit of experience back. So for me, that's been good. Uh, for them, it's probably uh, pretty comforting because we're trying to do a lot of the same things we did last year. Um, so that's not like we're rewriting the the playbook or how we practice or the way we do things are very similar. There's a few adjustments here and there. Uh, probably right now we have to, Tim, we have to probably teach a little bit more and stop. I mean, when you had like a Massenberg or a, a Nick Perkins, the CJ Massenberg, Nick Perkins, those guys, you could do a lot of things on the fly with those guys because they'd been around the lingo and the uh, and what what we wanted done for three years. And so there have been a lot of games with those guys. So uh, that's probably been the biggest adjustment for all of us. Jim, a year ago at this time, so we talked to Nate Oates. He was pretty open about the team trying to build on the year before, having won an NCAA tournament game, now trying to maybe win another one, get to that second weekend. The schedule you guys had a year ago lended itself towards possibly 
and if you needed it to, would have gotten you in as an at-large team. Where are those expectations now after graduating five seniors and with the schedule you have now? I mean, can you say something similar, or is it resetting the expectations a little bit? Well, you know, we, Jonah, we talked to the guys about, hey, look, this is what we try to do every year. We try to take a shot and get an at-large bid. So we definitely, you know, with our non-conference schedule, I mean, with the people that we're playing, we feel like, you know, we've got a shot. You got to do, you got to do really, really well, like last year's team. But along with it, that's kind of been our philosophy year in, year out. Even, you know, when it was year two here, I think we were like seven and six at Christmas time, or right around five hundred. We've probably gone into the MAC with probably one of the the worst records non-conference, with the exception of last year. But we've probably played the toughest schedule year in, year out in the MAC. I mean, with the if you look at the teams we've played in the past, whether it's whether it's a Duke, Western Virginia, Syracuse twice, Texas A&M, the list goes on and on about who we played. So we kind of feel like, look, we need to do that because that's what's been successful for us. We know the expectation isn't as high because certainly, you know, 32 wins in the NCAA tournament uh, advancing, that's that group, you know, there's a lot of experience back. But along with it, we want to, hey, look, challenge. And also, kid, this is the standard that we're working under, and we want to make sure that we're all – cognizant of it so you know we think that that's important to our guys understand that and and we have to learn from that so uh you know i don't know if i answered the question perfectly but i think that we're trying to keep the same expectation along with raising the level of what we have to do every day to be prepared and along with it is uh still playing a really tough non-conference schedule and trying to achieve those goals I and mean, these kids still want to get back to the NCAA tournament now obviously there's a lot of you know, you got to go game by game, minute by minute with our with our group. Uh, where last year, I think sometimes you feel like, hey, you know, oh, that's a game we got a pretty good shot of winning. I think this is, there's going to be a lot more what do you call 50-50 games now. What do you think about uh, the strength of your non-conference schedule? Games against Harvard and UConn, potentially uh, Florida and Xavier, if you do beat UConn and advance in that Charleston tournament. You know, how did that come together, and what do you think um, – the challenges you have in that portion of the schedule. Yeah, we, we thought like, you know, with uh, the Harvard and the Charleston uh, uh, opportunities, you got to take those because you can get, you get to play generally high major or ranked teams on a neutral floor. Um, instead, you know, I mean, that, those are always two years ago we went to Cayman Islands. We played Cincinnati and they, they were ranked in the top 10 when we played them. We lost them in a good game and then, played a really good South Dakota State team and beat a good UAB team, but we thought that got us got a lot better that week, you know. So the same premise is that way. We were able to add uh, Vanderbilt and DePaul later on, really TV opportunities and games as you go on the road. Uh, but it's kind of like feels like it's good for the program, it's good for uh, um, the budget, it's good for exposure, it's good for, you know, all sorts of things for the program that make us better. And then along with it, you always have the, the three – traditional rivals right here, you know, with, uh, you know, St. Bonnie's, Canisius, and Niagara, which are always just, you know, they're kind of like Army-Navy games, you know, so uh, local rivals. So we feel like our non-conference schedule every year has made us ready for conference play, and that's been the goal again is to, to do it. Is it uh, – someone came by the other day and said, you're really brave <laughs> to do what you're doing, but I'm like, you know, it's kind of like we've always tried to follow that pattern, and we understand kind of like it's, it's not necessarily uh, – uh, perfect, but along with it, we do think it helps you a lot better in January and February. We're in conversation with UB basketball coach Jim Weitzel on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. 
And uh, I don't know if you're uncomfortable with that, actually, now that I think about it, uh, Jim, to be on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. If that's a, you may need to self-report that. Uh, <laughs> if that's a, some kind of violation uh, that you are being mentioned in the same breath as a local junior college, I don't know what the ramifications are of that. I'm not sure on that one. I'm not sure on that one. I but, think uh, I think you're okay. You know, it's just an advertiser. Yeah. So, but you know, I think it's okay we, as long as they're not recruiting from the Thunderwolves. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm sure we, that's the case. We can, anytime I can talk to you guys is a good thing. So, uh, so, Jim, can you tell us about the personnel? Because I think that the fans, uh, uh, when they uh, feel, uh, I guess, a certain comfort level that there will be consistency um, with the coaching staff, uh, that there is. Um, that everything uh, from an X's and O's standpoint, uh, you're going to try to do the same things because you were uh, such a big part of that uh, in, for UB in the past few seasons. But what about a personnel standpoint? How would you describe how your roster has changed? Well, it's changed dramatically because obviously, I mean, there's there's five guys gone. They're all playing now overseas or in the NBA right now. I mean, uh, CJ's with the Nets and Nick was with the Lakers this summer. Dante Crothers was with the Wizards for a little while this summer. So either they're all in the G League or they're playing uh, like Knicks in Japan and Montel's in England, Jeremy's in Hungary, CJ's with the Nets, and Dante's going to be, looks like, with the uh, Detroit Pistons G League team. So uh, that experience is obviously gone. So the big thing is, personnel-wise, two guys we're really going to lean on big time are, are Devontae Jordan, who started for us point guard, every game last year, and Javon Graves, the only game he did not start last year was senior night. So those two guys have great experience coming back. Along with it, kind of our eighth and ninth men are back from last year, uh, Nathan Williams and Rondo Segu, who really I thought did a nice job for us as freshmen. I think sometimes you, uh, you know, we need them to make the, the jump into the sophomore year. We need them to make that big jump. They're both very capable of doing it. They've had good practices. And then Brock Bertram's been a guy that's been around. Our fans know him. He's kind of been a guy that's had to sit behind some really good players the last couple of years and been the odd guy out. But so far in practice, we're real pleased with what we've seen with him. So there's, you know, those five guys are back uh, off last year's team. There's good experience there. Now, the big thing is can they move in that driver's seat? You know, can they be the guy that, uh, you know, collectively, that's why I thought Massenburg and Harris did so well, and Perkins is really could be guys that could score, have big nights for us. But along with it, we're very happy to make the extra pass, you know, find the rebound, take the charge, do the blue collar stuff that we ask our guys to do. Now, new new wise, new guys wise. I mean, we've got uh, Antoine Johnson and Gabe Grant who both sat out last year. Both Division One transfers that are uh, guys that have given us. We think quality practice time, and days looked great in practice last year and looking pretty good so far this fall. And they've been three years. This is their senior year. So, you know, it's good to be a little bit they, – they helped us get a little bit older right away. And uh, that was a little bit of design last year. That's, that's, we figured, like, our group is back. If we could find good transfers to sit out, that would help our program um, stay at a high level. So we think those two guys have got to really help us dramatically. Then we brought in five guys this spring. Um, they came in, and each one of them, uh, three of them are freshmen, uh, two of them are transfers. So we're, uh, you know, plugging along with those guys and seeing, you know, every day is kind of more of a teaching day than uh, was probably last year for them, or wherever they were at in terms of 
learning a new system and that. So we think it's good size of them. We're probably a little bit longer and athletic in the front line. Now the skill level, you know, of Nick Perkins is there's a reason he was in the Lakers camp all year. Uh, we're not going to replace that overnight, but I do see there's a lot of good things uh, with that group. We just got to you know develop, develop, develop these guys. You know, what can you tell us about Antoine and Gabe working with them on the scout team last year? And, you know, as seniors, can they plug right in and kind of replace the seniors that you've lost? Well, we're going to need them to. Now, they're different type of players. Antoine's a guy that can really – he's very athletic off guard. He's a good shooter. Um, he's capable of getting to the basket. Uh, at Middle Tennessee State, he had a very good career. I mean, he averaged right around 11, 12 points a game on a team that went to the NIT and one year and went to the NCAA tournament. So, and he's played, he's been a part-time starter, played starters minutes either starting as coming off the bench. And I think last year that's one of the things that our guys are embracing is you don't have to start to be a significant guy for us. I mean, Perkins had, you know, for three years came off the bench and, uh, and Dante Crothers was defensive player that you're coming off the bench. So we really need AJ and Gabe to come in. Gabe, Gabe's more of a multifaceted, uh, Swiss Army knife uh, type of guy in the forward spot. He, he's a good shooter. He can. Uh, he's been a good rebounder in practice, and uh, you know, pretty skilled to kind of play that either forward spot. So we need those two guys to really come in and help us with a little bit of leadership along with an impact play. So, uh, and Jonah, the good thing was those guys. You saw them. They practiced a lot with our guys and. And uh, they did our scout team stuff, so they, they got exposed to a lot of different things in uh, practice. Now the big thing is kind of more is, is take, you know, step in and help us. We're not asking you to be CJ or Nick or Jeremy, but in your own way, we'll find good roles for you guys to really help us and contribute. Jim Weitzel. University at Buffalo men's basketball coach. I uh, want to thank you for joining us. Uh, looking forward to seeing how the season goes. And uh, as Joan and I have discussed numerous times on this show, not just at UB, but, uh, you know, it's such an underrated and under, I think, appreciated uh, aspect of Western New York sports is the college basketball that happens in uh, this area, not only the men's side, but on the women's side. And uh, so we're all uh, looking forward to basketball season. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Guys, thanks so much. I appreciate being on. Have a great day. That was UB's Jim Weitzel on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Uh, when we come back on the line from Vegas, it's Joel Staniszewski. Talk to us about uh, Bills from a betting standpoint going on for the rest of the season, even though the Bills are in a bye. We can go ahead and... They're favored this week. Uh, <laughs> Miami was uh, Miami was on a bye last week and actually was a two two touchdown underdog. All right, that and more when we come back on uh, the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio twelve seventy The Fan. Celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner is a full-service accounting firm that also offers expert consultation for growing and entrepreneurial businesses. Located in Amherst, CTBK specializes in maintaining a human connection and takes a bullish approach to their clients' goals and visions with a no-surprises billing policy. 
for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, or practically any other business operations need you can imagine, call CTBK for a consultation at 716-630-2400. That's 716-630-2400. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. 716-630-2400. On the Fans app, free to download in the App Store. Now back to the Tim Graham Show. What is this? King Crimson? Oh, I'm... I... I know that King Crimson's considered very influential, but I've not never gotten, gotten into them. No, it, they're kind of hard to. They never had any like super popular singles or anything. All their tracks were like you know rush deep cuts, yeah. 10, 12 minutes. Probably in the same vein as uh, Velvet Underground, yeah. where they have they're very influential, and yet or uh, the Replacements even absolutely super influential. A lot but, of people like them, but don't but people but they're all. Not mainstream. Right. There's still niches. Exactly. There's still a niche somehow. Right. Absolutely. I got to check them out. I got to look a little further into it. Pretty cool. Uh, Without further ado. From Buffalo to Las Vegas. The Bills make me want to shout. Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he, he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city as a whole. It's more like a royal flush. Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas, joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Joel, thanks for coming on again, even though it's a bye week. Always, we're still always fighting, you know, always grinding every day. Absolutely. So we thought it'd be a good idea to take a look at the Bills' schedule just for fun. You're always very good at forecasting what a point spread is going to be, or at least in the ballpark, even a few weeks out. And when you take a look at the Bills' remaining schedule, how many times do you think out of their 11 remaining games – they will be an underdog. That's a, it's a, there's a couple of games that it's really, really close. Uh, obviously, we know the Bills are going to be a huge underdog in New England, probably uh, 10 points plus. Uh, and, obvious, and with that, these, these numbers are going to move. When you look at forecast models, if you try to figure out numbers yourself, you look at uh, projections, whatever you look at, they're going to adjust every week depending upon how they play, how their opponents play. So, you know, you got to take each number with a grain of salt for, for what it is right now. Uh, like I said, the Bills will be a, a double-digit underdog uh, at New England. Uh, will be a, a huge favorite next week against the Dolphins. Uh, I was actually talking uh, to my parents this morning on the phone. And I was saying that the Bills are going to be a two-touchdown favorite plus next week. 
And I went and I came into work and I was looking at some numbers and uh, there was already an early number out at the Bills minus 15 and a half. That's not a I mean, that's not a common conversation. I don't think that children have with their parents is uh, how they're where they think the uh, the spread will be on a game two weeks from now. It should be. What do you? <laughs> they're smart. Does your mom get into this? Oh yeah. Does she, well, does she like action or she's just interested because this is what her son does for a living? No, she's interested in the numbers. She's interested in the in not necessarily the point spread, but more of the. Uh, probability of, of winning based upon that. Um, so, yeah, she's interested. I, I wouldn't say she gets action. I, I, maybe she does. Maybe she goes to the uh, Falls View Casino and gets down. I don't think they have sports book in any of those. But isn't it, isn't it legal in New York now to, to bet sports? Yeah, they're going to have sports books at the Seneca uh, Casinos. So <laughs> the three of them, right? One in Niagara Falls, one in Salamanca, one downtown Buffalo. Look at that. I don't know. Action everywhere. I don't know what the schedule is for that as to when those open, but I'm, I'm I would prefer it be available uh, on mobile uh, devices like it is in New Jersey. But uh, I'm probably uh, I'm probably safer that it's not. I'm looking forward to it, but I shouldn't. Oh, it definitely will be. However, you want to look at it, William Hill, uh, whatever that pick U.S. Right, uh, CG Technology, Delaware North. Uh, it, it'll be there before you know it. So the next three games for the Bills coming out of this bye, all at home, do you think they're favored in all three of those? I, I, I think against Washington, yes. But what about Philadelphia? Philadelphia, it will really depend upon uh, what happens in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the Bills are projected to beat Miami uh, handily. Uh Philly, who do they play this week? Philly plays... Um, oh, I was on the wrong screen. Let's see. Philly At, at Minnesota. Philly is a three-point uh, favorite at Minnesota. No, I'm sorry. Philly is a three-point dog at Minnesota. Correct. And then they play the next week at Dallas. So you could very well see Philadelphia losing those two games. If Philadelphia loses those two games or loses one of the two and plays okay in the other, the Bills will be a favorite uh, hosting the Eagles. I see The way I look at it right now, when you look at the team, the both teams, I, I would say it's probably a pick em. Uh if, if anything, books will favor the more popular team, which would be obviously the Eagles over the Bills. Uh, but it was, I would say it's a, it's, as of today, it's a pick em game, in my opinion. And right. then when you go on to uh, Washington, uh, the, the line for this coming week after the bye and the Washington game will be determined will, how far it goes up will be determined on who wins that game this week between Miami and, and Washington. So the Bills could very well be another double-digit uh, favorite against Washington, probably 10, 10 and a half. If Miami beats them, that, it, that could go up to, up to two touchdowns. Uh, and then... The next week after that, uh, the Bills go to Cleveland, and again that will determine will be determined by how these two teams play. Uh, Cleveland hasn't really done much of anything, so it's very possible the Bills could be a small favorite on the road, maybe a point and a half. That's uh, interesting that. because Cleveland, I think, just based on reputation of star talent, might get the edge in in that game. 
when you look at the early lines, when, when books released the lines before the season started, the Browns were a seven-point favorite for that game. There you go. So, yeah, star power will give Cleveland an advantage. How they play, if they play, if they continue to play like they did against San Francisco, that uh, you know they're gonna they're gonna become a dog against everybody. I mean, they played awful, and if they continue to do that, you would, you would have to assume that with the star power that they have, they are going to have a bounce back. Uh, Beckham's going to still continue to play well, but if they continue to do poorly. With all of that star power, also comes those players with the with the little bit of a diva attitude, and you could very well see this team just imploding and then just losing losing out. Would and then next up is at Miami on November seventeenth. Uh, would that be a double digit game at Miami? It, it very well could be. Uh, I would say as of right now, it's probably a touchdown, a little bit more than a touchdown, maybe seven, seven and a half. Uh, Again, depending upon how we play them this week, how they continue to play, how they play against Washington will be a big determining factor on how big of a favorite we would be. But we'll definitely be a minimum of a six-point favorite, if and it could go as high as two touchdowns, uh, depending upon how we do against them uh, in the next week. Hey, Joel, we were talking earlier about some different power ratings. They have the Bills lower, 24th by ESPN. 19th and another one I saw, 16th in the Sagarin ratings. Would you say when the lines are coming out or when you're looking at setting lines, are the Bills being treated more as a team with a top five or six record or more like this team that some of the computers say is more of a middle-of-the-pack team? I would say when they looked at in power ratings, uh, people who are putting them together are thinking about the Bills uh, of 2008 when they were 4-1 and one and fell apart and finished 6-10. and 10. They're thinking of the Bills that, uh, you know, have Josh Allen throwing three picks a game, fumbling twice a game. Uh, when you look at our turnover ratio, it's absurdly high. And that's what, that's what people are looking at. They're seeing Josh Allen. They're saying, yeah, it's a great defense, but how long can they hold up with the mistakes that are being made on offense? And as a Bills fan, you look at it as, if we can just clean up these mistakes, this team is unstoppable. And if you looked at the Patriots game, the Patri- everybody has the Patriots as the number one team in the NFL. Whether you're looking at uh, forecast models, power rankings, whatever it is, everyone has hands down the, bill, the Patriots are the best team in football. And if you look at that and then you look back at the game and you factor in interceptions, a blocked punt that shouldn't have happened, uh, the Bills win that game. So then how, is, how are they the number one team? And they're two lucky plays away from losing to the whatever you call them, the 20th ranked team. I mean, that, that's, that's an absurd uh, way to put it. And, and that's based upon historical views. So you look at the Bills, and they're historically not good. You look at the Patriots, and they've won however many Super Bowls, seven, six. So you, 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 factor histor- you factor historical data into your power rankings, which doesn't necessarily equate to who is the better team. You could look at the Bills and say, okay, yeah, they're uh, the 20th best team, but you could also say they're the third best team in the AFC. You could make an argument that they're the second best team in the AFC, where you have the Chiefs uh, barely beating the Lions as a huge favorite, and you have the Chiefs losing as an 11-point favorite, and you have the Bills winning as five-point dogs, three-point dogs, and barely losing as a seven-point dog. So when you're looking at 
against the spread and how your team plays ver- versus against what they're expected to do, then you could make an argument that the Bills are the second-best team in the AFC. Joel, I just uh, looked it up. Uh, the last time the Bills were a double-digit favorite three times in a season was, no surprise, 1993, the, their final Super Bowl season. But you, <laughs> that also shows you uh, that's a long time <laughs> to uh, not be that much better than at least three of your opponents in any given season. So, And I think that's a real possibility. Obviously, Miami coming out of the bye, the Washington game, uh, Miami again, maybe who knows what the Jets are going to look like or what Pittsburgh's going to look like. Uh, but there's a chance that you could be three, uh, and you know, four is iffy, but uh, then uh, four would be uh, the last time that happened was 1992. So it's not like it's any big stretch. In fact, 1992, they were a 10 point favorite. At least a ten-point favorite. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times that season uh, in nineteen ninety-two. Um, that's amazing to be a double-digit awesome. favorite nine times in a season. That's, yeah, that's that's incredible. You don't see that very often. You see that with the uh, two thousand, whatever it was seven or eight Patriots. They were twenty-point favorites at least three, four times that season. Had to have been double digit favorites almost every almost every week, uh, but since then you can't think of a team that's been a double digit favorite that many times. But yeah, this and is it's a, and this it's a, it's not just barely. Uh, the, I'll give you the spreads in these games. Nineteen ninety two um, against the Rams, eleven points. Indianapolis, seventeen points. New England, fourteen points. Miami, ten and a half. New England, nineteen points. Atlanta, 13 points. Indianapolis, again, 16.5 points. The Jets, 17 points. And then Denver, 14 points. So that's pretty much your division. <laughs> Not only that, yeah, that's, that's Patriots 2007, absolutely. Incredible. Well, Joel, it's thanks. Possible. No, go ahead. Sorry, real quick. Possible it's also they could be almost up to a double-digit favorite uh, hosting Denver. I would say that's more likely – than uh, playing in Pittsburgh because we're a road a road team there. Yeah, that's uh, but, true. Uh, definitely, see, I could see the Bills as a double digit favorite three times this year, uh, and then we'll see what happens with the, the Week Seventeen. Who needs to win? Who doesn't need to win? Who's playing? Uh, but it's definitely looking good for the Bills to uh, finish strong. Do the Bills score enough points to cover double digit spreads? That's a big question. Uh, it, what are the chances that we get, you know, blocked punts and three picks and two fumbles every game? Uh, hopefully not very good. So, yes, as they play right now, their their average points scored versus points given up, they're only winning by four or five points. Um, so they're going to definitely need to get their offense back together. I think Josh Allen cleaning up his mistakes, getting Singletary back, I think is will we'll go a far way of, of getting us to – covering double-digit spreads. Joel, thanks as always for joining us. Thanks, everybody. All right, we'll get back to real games and not uh, hypotheticals next week when the Bills are back against Miami, although you can pretty much guess you know, what Miami the spread's going to be. Joel already says it's pretty mu- he pretty much had it pegged, but I guess we can talk about what he would do and in-game betting and the total and all that stuff. But that was Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. And on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline.
come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Great to have NCCC on board as a new hotline sponsor. Um, Talk nice about show. double-digit favorites. They win a lot of games by 30, 40, 50 points up there at Niagara County Community College. The women's basketball team? Women's basketball, men's basketball win some big games. Baseball, they've even won. They win a lot of games up there sometimes by 10 runs or more. I don't think this is any... Uh, I don't know if you can bet on junior college sports. I doubt though. it. Uh, the uh, A little bit of exaggeration. I don't know. Maybe there's no... The success that NCCC has had in its women's basketball program and winning the title as it did last year led to its arch rival essentially folding. Well, I don't know, I know if those two things numbers, are related, but... but it is that really does work out for Niagara County Community College. The one team that they've had battled with historically and really had to get over the hump against last year isn't playing. Monroe Community College. Two of their best players now are back at Niagara County Community College, and there really isn't much resistance unless Erie Community College puts it together and has a better team than they've had the last few years. There really isn't a team in that league that's going to prevent NCCC women from probably hosting their playoff games and having a chance to go to the national tournament again. Nate Butel doing a great job with that women's basketball program. Um, great show today from Bobby Rosati. Uh, he was juggling all kinds of balls, and he was able to get everything done on time. I, on the other hand, didn't, but he was. Uh, I didn't notice coming back from a break. I botched a CBTK, CTBK <laughs> reference, make that two. Jonah Bronstein delivering the goods on all fronts. But also mispronouncing words. Well, we I've got to be better. That's a weekly thing. <laughs> so my thanks to John Vogel of The Athletic for Talking Sabres, to Jeff Glore of CBS News for coming on Talking Sabres and Bills, and a little politics, reluctantly. <laughs> Marcel Louis-Jacques from ESPN. Jim Weitzel, UB basketball coach, and, of course, most recently, Joel Staniszewski there, all of them joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. This has been the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. We'll be back here in these seats next week. Matthew Fairburn will be back after he's uh, been away on vacation during the Bills' bye week. And uh, much, much more. Enjoy your week. <laughs>